So hello and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. I'm your host, Alan Waima, and today I'm the only person on the panel, so sad, but we do have a very special guest, Eric Guzman. I believe I said that right this time. Got it. <laughs> okay. I was practicing a little bit before the, we started recording. So you are a software engineer at, you were just saying, is it something with Z? I believe the name is? With Zeal. Zeal. Okay. I think I've heard yeah. the name Zeal. Do you guys have multiple offices around the world? Uh, we're a fully remote office. And actually, one of your previous guests uh, had worked at Zeal for a period of time, uh, Randy Coleman. He, uh, I unfortunately didn't get to work with him directly, but we were co-workers and saw each other's remote stand-ups. But yeah, we're a consultancy all around the United States and yeah, provide uh, you know, craft, code crafting to people and companies that need it. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. That's great. But you guys are not doing Elixir yet, right? You're still on Ruby or, or something else, I think? Yeah, we're predominantly a Ruby on Rails shop with the founders and uh, the engineering managers kind of like, you know, just like, hey, take a look at, take a look at Elixir, you know? And <laughs> and and it goes, working there is actually where I kind of like really got more encouraged to take a look at Elixir and uh, learn it learn it myself. So pretty much I'm self-taught, wrote a bunch of books and stuff like that. But we're a Ruby on Rails shop and I've been a Ruby on Rails developer for almost like eight years or so. <laughs> yeah, but wait, there you guys are basically a Ruby on Rails shop, but they've been also nudging you guys to take a look at Elixir. Why, why is that? Uh, because Elixir is definitely the... Like, this, so this is talking about my opinion uh, <laughs> here. But uh, Elixir is definitely the next step up from trying to do a web application, a very high-performant web application at that. Ruby on Rails really shines at doing CRUD applications, you know, for, for users. But then it, it... And internal tools, because a lot, a lot of the companies I've worked with do work on, like, more internal tools, not the scale of hundreds of thousands of people. But Elixir, specific with the Phoenix framework, scales at those levels and is easily and and is a nice knowledge transfer from going from Ruby on Rails to to Elixir because of you know the, the history of who is involved with creating Elixir and who's in, involved with of creating Phoenix, the Phoenix framework. We can provide, if needed, we can provide a more highly scalable application to our clients. But basically, has, is everybody kind of being nudged towards Elixir or, you know, kind of what, what's the general mood in the office? It's definitely, it's more like an encouragement, but not any sort of like, hey, take a look. But there's a small handful of people that either have done something with Elixir or are learning Elixir. And myself being one of them where I just went to, you know, go learn it. And and then actually on, on my Fridays times, I spent a little bit of time working on side projects and actually streaming that. And I've worked on, I'm working like on, on a Notion, little Notion Elixir package and uh, other small little projects on my Friday time. When you say Friday time, it's just like, I, I've heard some places actually offering like Fridays, you guys do experimentations, but Monday to Thursday, you guys are doing client work. Is that the way you guys work or you're talking about after work on Friday? Yeah, that's how it works. So we, since we're a consultancy, we have, you know, we have to do billable hours and usually depending on the engineer, either their billable hours are either between Monday to Thursday or Monday, Monday to like halfway through Friday, and then the first four hours of Friday, and the last four hours is like you just doing self enrichment, and that's that's what uh, that's what everyone does, and that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really great culture. I wish more places would do something like that. But also, I I also do consulting too, and but it's hard to get clients to kind of leave you alone <laughs> at the same time. Always a feature that they want, they want to have a meeting, or something just happens, you know, to help them out too. So that's just just, just the way it goes. Yeah, 
exactly. I think because of our relationship with our the the type of the relationship that the founders have set up with our clients and the way we work with them, because we don't we're not over the wall consultancy where they just like throw us stuff and we're just making things. Instead, we're actually engineers that are embedded with the client in terms of like and with their engineering teams or act like a proc engineering team by proxy, having standups every day with them such. So it, it's it's a little bit more of like a per, natural progression. So I feel like it seems like they're more inclined to do that because it's no longer like there's just this team that's building stuff and they're outputting stuff. Instead, it's like there's this relationship and having them spend a little time on, you know, self-enriching helps benefits them because they see, you know, the, the quality of the stuff we're outputting for them. It depends on the client that you have, right? I mean, plenty of clients would be like, no, 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 I, I don't, you know, why are you looking at X, you know, why are you looking at Clojure? We do uh, Ruby on Rails over here. Why, why are you spending your time on that kind of stuff? You're, yeah. Or, you know, this probably gets this kind of feedback from some people, I would think. Yeah, I, I would I would agree, but then it's I guess you could choose. I guess you know the, the you you choose your clients right in the end. So, <laughs> and luckily, the the zeal the way when they choose their clients, they choose you know they vet them and choose good clients instead of just going for the money. Go for the you know make sure that you, both you the clients and the engineers are happy in the relationship that's set up. If you can do that, that's the best way to do it. But it's you got to have something behind you. So how, how long has actually this company been around for? It sounds like it's been around for some time. It's been around for, uh, oh man, I, I can't remember right now, but I think it's six years or so. Yeah, no, that's eight. That's ages. That's, uh, that's ages, ages in uh, yeah. start startup time, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've been with the company for almost, I think, for about a year and a half now. So, which is ages even in de- software development time working for a company, and I'm I've been enjoying it. I'm not, I'm not looking to go anywhere else. Yeah, but but let's get back, right? So, when we brought you on here to talk about your your article, which we were just talking about a little bit before, it's your first time developing, I guess. If it's your first app that you deploy, it must be your first app that you've been developing. Is that correct? Correct. Full web application. So what does this app actually do? So String Closed Captioner is a closed captioning solution that integrates with either Twitch or Zoom. What it does is it's... So there's actually a JavaScript web API, a browser API for Chrome and for Edge that allows you to take speech to text. So I'll just listen... you know, you, you don't have to use any APIs like Google, like the Google Azure or AWS, and it'll actually take listen to your mic and convert that speech to actual text. And then what that does is on, on the client side, and what that does is it it filters it through a server, it sends it through a server, and then publishes those messages and sends those messages to Twitch and displays it either. Uh, the original implementation was it displayed it on Twitch's website. They have little utilities called extensions, which are basically little tiny web apps that you can install on your Twitch channel, streaming channel, and it would display for everyone over the video. So broadcasters can easily do uh, speech or closed captions for, for the videos. I also added on a little bit more where you can it actually uses Azure to translate this, the text. So, they can, so it translates to, uh, if they activate it using some in Twitch currency to pay for the API. It will translate to Spanish, French, and German too. So, so you can be multilingual in terms of your 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 stream offering. And then I also and then for Zoom, that it, it sends um, Zoom actually has a closed caption API too, where you can just send it raw text and it'll display. And it sends it that way too. If you wanna, if you provide a link to a Zoom meeting uh, URL caption URL. That's quite interesting. Like, so you you can hook into these services and then just do the the closed captioning, mm-hmm. and then also the streaming too. Wow. So, like, how do you learn how to hook in all this stuff? You just go through the the docs that they have available. Then you can just hook into it, or is there, did you do some kind of reverse engineering or reading online? Uh, they had a, for for Twitch. They had a a lot a lot of documentation. And when they first released the 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 concept of extensions. I was at there, like I was at there. They had TwitchCon, but then they had a side conference for developers for, for like a day or two. And they, when they introduced it, you know, like I was just imagining what I can do. And luckily, and and what extensions are, they're just little web apps. And then they have some API integrations with their services to do to for like for pub sub events and to fetch information on on the uh, on the client side. And then you know, eventually, I learned about that speech to text kind of JavaScript API, and then kind of envisioned publishing that text to to Twitch and without and using their PubSub API so that I don't burn down my application because hundreds of thousands of people could in theory be watching a stream 
and I <laughs> connecting to the trying to connect to the server, so it would it would pass through Twitch's services, and then public and Twitch would publish it to that extension front end. Okay, so you developed on this app, took you some time, but like I guess so somebody was coming into Elixir from Rails. Like I remember when I was making my Rails apps, like I wouldn't look for a Ruby plugin. I have to look for a Rails plugin, or even a Ruby gem. I have to look for something that's Rails specific, like. How did you find packages? Because to me, it's like, I never had this notion about, oh, I have to go find a Phoenix package. I had to, to me, it's just find an Elixir package and then just make it work. Some, of course, have Phoenix integration, but it's not like with Rails where you kind of roped into the, uh, what do you call that, the ecosystem. So like, what was it like to try to find packages for what you're looking for? It was actually kind of difficult at first because this application actually existed as a Ruby on Rails application itself. And I was having scaling issues. Like there was just too many users using it. And I was using the WebSocket, the, I forget the name, but the WebSocket implementation on Rails. And it wasn't, it was, I kept on having to add servers in order to support users. And I wanted to learn Elixir and Rails. So I was taking a look at Elixir and it took me, and I, I needed to do feature parity. If I was going to shift an entire application on Rails to Elixir, Phoenix, I had to spend a lot of time looking at, looking at articles and looking at uh, videos. And what actually helped me a lot was actually ElixirCast. Uh, <laughs> like going through ElixirCast and looking at the, you know, the, the logins, plugins and stuff like that. And I actually ended up writing a mini library to do something silly that I had a feature on, which was like, I had like a talk like a pirate mode, which it would take the text. It would take the text of what, and this existed, this is a gem that existed on Ruby. I would take your text and then just convert it to pirate speak. So, and it would just do this. It was this map. It was just a glorified mapping of like hello and to like yar or something like that. And it would just map it. And I wanted to add that. So I had to create, I had to create libraries or, and do basically do everything from scratch. Like I had to practice writing like little things in Elixir and doing everything from scratch because there was no API libraries for Twitch. There was no API. There wasn't any sort of like really good integrations for for third-party services so i just had to build everything from scratch which was great because i ended up learning a lot more (laughs) and i think it wasn't it was surprisingly not as difficult as i thought it would be kind of like building things from scratch especially with phoenix because everything's a little bit more bare metal whereas ruby on rails does a lot to kind of hide things from you to make it easy phoenix went and like it's like it generates everything for you but it's kind of like hey you can just configure everything you want you know you can modify everything so it helped demystify a lot of the things and allow and allowed me to actually move pretty fast i was able to rewrite the application and the entire application in about three months of not knowing too much about elixir or phoenix so i think personally i thought that was pretty impressive yeah i also find it for some strange reason i find that adding custom libraries from scratch, like you said, it's just very straightforward. I'm I'm not sure why that why that even is. And actually, even easier. I feel like the code is much smaller too. Because I remember showing uh, some new developers I hired on over here. Like we did a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of conditional logic, but we didn't use any if else statements after I got done with it. And I was like, did you just notice that we didn't do any if else? We just used pattern matching basically the entire way. And okay, some some cons here and there, but there's no if else. I almost never use an if else statement. That's I, I recommended one today because there's only like if this condition, then do something. Otherwise, there's nothing else to do. In that case, there's no reason to have an else, but only because of that one situation. Otherwise, it was like you never use it. It's it's yeah. crazy. Yep. I read an article last night about the with statement again. I've used it, but then I read an article in a little bit more detail about it. I'm like, oh, well, this the with statement's pretty cool. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't even think about using the if statement. Now I kind of default to with <laughs> even. Yeah, the with statement is, is definitely um, it's definitely one of the cooler things. Like, I remember when that came out, I was like, why would I want to use this? And I was looking at another one of your articles or, or something. I, I don't remember. It's somewhere that you were, I was sorry, looking at one of your Twitch streams and you're going over the with statement. And then like you had one that was like very long, very, very wide. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's perfect for width because uh, it gets really unwieldy sometimes. Pattern matching is cool until you're pattern matching. Just keep continuing pattern matching going along. But yeah, then width definitely will save you in that situation. Yeah. All right. So what what about like when you did find a library that was actually uh, something that you wanted to use? Like, how do you evaluate that? So, and this is something I tell my mentees is like, you need to, 
first is look at look at the last time it was there was a commit. <laughs> first, yeah, look at look at when the last time you, there was a commit on it because it t- because that's already an indicator of how old it is and whether it's being maintained. The next one is just look at the documentation to see if the documentation if there's documentation in the first place. And I know like Elixir. You know, you know, it makes document libraries really easy, but sometimes people just don't document things or they, if they do document things, it's like all the module functions and no description on exactly how to weave it all together. And then, and then after that is, does it actually contain the functionality that you need? And some, for some of the libraries, it's like, they're like four, last commit was like four years ago, but usually, but the more common ones like Oban, the login libraries, um, fun with I think it was like fun with flags. They're like the feature flagging one. Like all those are are highly maintained. There's like certain larger uh, libraries that are well maintained, well documented, and those are really easy to to use. You, I usually the only place I get hung up on is when I'm configuring the application because where to put it in the mix exs. Sometimes I'll forget about that. Yeah, that that's I think the the mix config stuff is super confusing, especially like I think they fixed this issue with the newest version of Phoenix. But now basically mix.config is gone or deprecated, if I remember correctly, and they want people to use just import config because that will let you do more things. It seems like you know about this. You're shaking your head. Is that right? Yeah, I remember reading that. I haven't updated to the latest like configuration for, I know like it was on the documentation for Phoenix like 1.6 of like the new kind of like setup that they're doing because of that. I haven't upgraded yet, but I, rem- I remember that. And I remember being like, oh, well, I, I configured my application to do releases using mixed release. So like I remember setting that up to do that. <laughs> and that's where they want, that's where they were leaning towards. Yeah, the, the mixed release. I remember when releases were much more complicated. Uh, feel like an old man. I remember back in my day. <laughs> no, uh, but I remember releases were, were really complicated before. Uh, but thank God we had Bitwalker and uh, Paul Sh- uh, Schofenfilter. I forgot how to say his last name, but we had Paul Bitwalker come out with his, uh, man, what is that thing called again? Totally forgot what, Distillery. That thing was pretty good. But I think since 1.6 or so, we have releases built in, which I still could never figure out, like, why did we never have releases built in? It didn't make sense to me. But anyways, it's there now. So that's that's the good part. But that, um, yeah, I mean, the releases are, are great. Like I remember I, I ran a lot of production apps without releases for a long time. Just use Mix directly, which you can, uh, but not advisable. But you went straight for releases when you did your first release, right? Correct. I went straight to, to releases. Originally, I was planning on releasing it as a Dockerized application on AWS. And then I had, uh, I discovered Gigalixer. And since... I was already kind of like Dockerized, like configured for Docker release because mixed releases. Um, it was already compatible with Gig Elixir, so I was basically able to just like push it, <laughs> and then it, it just worked. So I was like, heck yeah! <laughs> so it got even simpler from there. Yeah, yeah. You'd see the Gig Elixir, Gig Elixir. Yeah, yeah. They have. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. I'm trying to think if they use build packs or not. Do they use build packs? I can't remember. They, I think they maybe do. they have not. a couple integrations. They have a couple different integrations you can do it. And I think, believe one of them was, was was using build packs. Yeah, I do know that they work off of Kubernetes, which is pretty cool. And you could do some pretty cool stuff in there. Have you tried doing off, a... Mm-hmm, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, they do, like their their hosting stuff is off of Kubernetes, but you can't, the only the only caveat to that, at least provided to me as the end user, is they don't, they, they haven't exposed a way to do the auto-scaling thing. So you can adjust the pods and the size but you have yet to be able to like somehow configure some sort of auto scaling thing but it makes it really simple to configure yeah that's a good point i mean well first of all i mean elixir is already pretty great about scaling as it is i mean your app will be slower but it should still function at least yeah i I remember i worked a little bit with jesse before and and you always have to deal with jesse too right have you ever worked with jesse before that's the guy who runs gig elixir i had i had a email exchanges with him. He was kind of actually kind of enough to provide a discount to the app because since I basically offer this application for free, I was like, hey, I do this thing for free, you know, provide it for Twitch. And, you know, I was hoping, you know, there's some sort of discount or something like that. And he's like, yeah, cool. He's like, here. I'm like, oh my God, thank you. Thank you. Because, <laughs> you know, sp- yeah. spending spending out of pocket every month for, for you know, for <laughs> out of the good, you know, just to, just so people can use something. It, definitely is, is yeah i think to... i think he's working by himself i believe he's like a one-man band and he's like never sleeps i don't yeah. think i've ever like the guy is just amazing and and he's super friendly and he's really great i, I love jesse he's, he's been fantastic to work with so if you're looking for a host for your app and you want something similar to heroku guys check out gigalixer it's really great i think one of the nice parts about gigalixer is they don't go down 
Like for uh, Heroku, they will shut your app down after you don't use it for some time. And I think in, even if you always use it, they also just like cycle it, I think once a day, something like that, if I remember correctly. I think they, if on the free tier, the app will go down after, I think days later, if, if there's no pushes to it. Whereas Heroku is like after like, the free tiers like after a couple hours or something like six hours they'll, they'll they'll bring that they'll bring the app down so unless i guess like for the free tier you can't just use it for like hosting your your app indefinitely because you have to have a little bit of activity on your app in order if you want to use the the uh the free tier on that i thought i thought in general they, they still cycle it like once a day or something i remember because that was one of the things i think they put onto the website maybe uh, maybe i'm wrong but in, in any case it's really fantastic even actually because i think with gigalix you don't have to just do elixir only you could do it basically anything with the build pack if i remember yeah since they they have the kubernetes configuration they're using kind of docker setup anyway so you can deploy any sort of application if you're i f- believe if you're kind of comfortable with configuring application to kind of run in dockerized environment yeah okay so where did we get sidetracked with what was my last question i asked you about i can't remember now so so you picked out some libraries you got it hosted but in your article you mentioned that you discovered an issue like what 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 happened right like take us through like how you figured out what's going on yeah so one of the gems that i discovered was boom notifier and that was kind of like a feature parody with with a rails application i had where like it, it is an exception notifier basically that if if an exception and error is thrown in, in your application it would send you an email so you don't have to directly rely on like new relic or other other dashboards to wait for the, to, to send a notification you just get them directly to your inbox or what or or at least in my case for the rails one i sent it to to my Gchat because my email box would blow up because Rails was really lagging behind <laughs> on performance. And uh, so I had added that boom notifier in to, to kind of have that real-time input of errors. And locally, you know, everything, you know, worked on my computer, like, like every developer always says. And I deployed the application and within minutes on the Gig Elixir console, I was seeing that I was burning through CPU like crazy, like the the app was running sluggishly. The 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 CPU spikes were happening, and then because of that, um, Gig Elixir was restarting the the pods because it like it thought something was wrong, so it was trying to you know Elixir is all about like fail fast, you know, recover. So it was trying to do that. It was trying to it was failing, you know, it was, it was closing it down, recovering the application, come back up, and then would and then a boom notifier will and then or at least not boom notifier, but at least what I was seeing was like the CPU would spike, and I'm like. What's going on? I like there's no errors happening. Everything seem everything's working fine from the perspective of looking at the logs and everything, but I can't tell exactly what's going on. And I was I was sweating. <laughs> I was absolutely sweating because it's like, oh my God, did I just make did did I do something absolutely horrible, horrible? I, I don't know what's going on. Were you like blaming the tech at this point? Because I can imagine like if if I went to a new tech and I thought, okay, this is cool, and then like I went to launch it and you know, why is this so bad? Like, what did you know? That that'd be one of the the things thoughts going to my head. It's like, you know, why is this tech so bad? And also, what did I, like you said, what did I do? Did I do something wrong? Why is it so hard? <laughs> yeah, this kind of question. I'm sure all these thoughts came to your mind, right? Yeah. I so like the first one was like, do I blame the like? Is it the tech? And I'm like, no, it is not the tech. You know, like like the tech is the stuff is supposed to be highly performant and stuff like that. So it's it's on the developer. So I'm like, I did something wrong. Maybe like I like I did I somehow wrote some inefficient code. I don't know how I did it, but somehow I wrote some inefficient code. So luckily I had, so the, the only thing to do was, was to don't make, the thing I always tell mentees is like, if you make assumptions, you need to verify those assumptions. So I'm like, okay, well, the only thing I can do is with my limited knowledge, especially being very limited knowledge of Elixir in terms of debugging, luckily I had instrumented the application with New Relic that allowed me to kind of like look at the, um, the processes. So I had jumped in to the dashboard and I was like poking around and I know, you know, the, there, luckily there's instrumentation to actually look at the various um, processes that are running on Elixir. And I was seeing these like CPU memory spikes, these just like, there's a bunch of lines and, but I saw a couple lines that were just spiking really high. And I was like, okay, well, like I was hovering, I was hovering around the dashboard, like taking close looks. And I saw, luckily I saw that one was this like some process with boom notifier on it. And I was like, oh wait, I'm like, I mean, okay, well, so I was like, okay, well, so boom notifier is supposed to kind of like is part of like the stack, you know, part part of the stack is like things are are filtering through it. So I'm like, I'm wondering, so I was like, okay, I wonder if boom notifier is for some reason just spending too much time analyzing every single request that's coming through because I'm sending in 
So the application is sending one request. So the clients that are connected to the application that can be like a couple, like two to 300 people are connected and they're sending a request a second. And that payload is the over, over WebSockets, the captions, the text-to-speech. So it's timed from the client to send to the server once a second. So there's like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of requests slinging through. I'm like, okay, well, Boom Notifier is probably looking at this, these requests and spending too much time analyzing them or storing them in memory or doing something. I'm not exactly sure what, what exactly it's doing. So what I'm going to do is I am, since, since Boom Notifier seems to be the one indicator on the CPU and, and the memory, or at least on the CPU side, I'm just going to quickly remove Boom Notifier and then push a, new, push a new change. And then luckily, since it's Gig Elixir, it's really easy. You just, you know, it's kind of like Heroku, you just push. I removed it and luckily, like, there's no real, like, it just kind of hooks into your application. So I didn't have to really pull out any code all other than removing the package and the configuration. And I pushed that and I immediately saw everything just drop like it it like after like a minute or two once the new relic refreshed the like the the drastic change on the graphs for for the memory usage cp it almost looked like it dropped down to zero because of like the drastic change on the on the amount of range of the worst case to the best case and everything just started moving and clicking and i just i just drew a huge sigh of relief <laughs> on that yeah I'm glad and and I'm just glad that I instrumented it with like ahead of time with with an application like New Relic. I know there's like app signal, I think believe also. But I'm just glad I did that because if I didn't do that, I I don't know what I would have done. Because like being so new to Elixir and Phoenix, I wouldn't know how how to figure out what processes were were <laughs> were burning burning the whole thing down. <laughs> time is of the essence when identifying and resolving issues in your software. And our friends at Raygun are here to help. Their brand new alerting feature is now available for crash reporting and real user monitoring to make sure you're quickly notified of the errors, crashes, and front-end performance issues that matter most to you and your business. Set thresholds for your alert based on an increase in error count, a spike in load time, or new issues introduced in the latest deployment, along with custom filters that give you even greater control. Assign multiple users to ensure the right team members are notified with alerts linked directly to the issue in Raygun, taking you to the root cause faster. Never miss another mission-critical issue in your software again. Try Raygun alerting today and create a world-class issue resolution workflow that gives you and your customer peace of mind. Visit raygun.com to learn more. Their simple usage plans start from as little as $4 per month with unlimited apps and users. That's raygun.com to start your free 14-day trial. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. The, you didn't actually ever try to hook up directly with uh, the Observer because I believe there's a way to do that with elixir you just use straight new relic yeah i went straight to new relic which new relic extends what the observer does which was kind of why i think if i didn't have new relic i probably would have tried to connect to the observer i didn't default to that like i kind of learned how to do it i didn't default to that because i'm always kind of hesitant to try to like connect anything directly to production because especially given that i'm brand new to elixir i was afraid that i was going to click something wrong and then somehow delete something or or and then um and then, you know, ca- cause something to crash or something like that. So I'm always, a good developer is always hesitant to touching production at any time. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. But we also have people who would like to push fixes directly to production without testing them, see if they're <laughs> working okay. <laughs> <clears throat> so, all right, so you saw this, you saw Boom Notifier, you, you determined that there's something probably not quite right with this package, at least for your app. You removed it, pushed it up, you saw things were good. Now, was there any follow-up with Boom Notifier, the maintainers to say, hey, there's something going on with this package. Am I using it wrong? Or maybe there's a bug over here, or it, I know it's this behavior when I have so many requests coming. Did, was there anything like that that came up? Unfortunately, no, I didn't follow up with that. I kind of like kind of like put it to the side. I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna rely on New Relic. I should have, as a good, as a good person, that's <laughs> I probably should have left a comment on their opened up an issue on GitHub to do that. I think one of the reasons I didn't do that is because I just chalked it up to my own user error. Like I'm like, you know, it can't, it can't be them. Like because I, you know, I I do open source maintaining too of different packages, and everyone always wants to blame the maintainer. So like, so my my inclination is like I did something wrong. So I don't <laughs> I don't want to point fingers on them. So I think that's why I didn't go in and be like, hey, something's wrong with your package. You know, like I was just like I must have did something wrong, or I wasn't using the I wasn't using the right use case for it, and. I just went along my way after that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I. I, would, I mean. I. W- I would love to hear like what was going on because 
it sounds like a serious problem with the package that I think would should definitely be addressed addressed somehow. I think that brings up a good point. I probably should spend a little bit of time going through the package. Now that I'm more comfortable with Elixir, I can try to go through their package and like go through go through how they go through the the whole request pipeline and how they hook in and see see in theory where it's using so much CPU and me- so much CPU and memory because that's definitely a peculiar thing to happen in an Elixir app is so much processing power is being used for something so simple. Yeah, were you actually having errors also at the same time? Or was it just requests coming in and they were just blowing up? It was just requests coming in and it was just blowing up. It was just it was just churning. Like there was no there was no errors in the request. It was just kind of eating it's just eating cycles. That's all that's all I was doing. Okay. It's strange. Yeah. I, I this reminds me of an of an issue I had with another project recently where like I had the the software that was the package that was supposed to catch bugs and report them was actually the one that was actually triggering the crashes. So it's kind of a little bit ironic. So I've been in a similar situation where it's like, well, why is this thing that's supposed to help me to catch problems, like giving me problems? So mm-hmm. I had to, I, in this case, I had to actually upgrade it and then it was good. But in your case, you just removed it, which is, I couldn't think of another another way because we're different situations, different technology. Okay. So you removed the package. You didn't decide to replace it. You decided to just lean on New Relic, which is probably working for you, I'm guessing. Yeah. Okay. You push it up and then now you're so you pushed it up and then, yeah, now things have been chugging along, right? A- any other issues that happened since then? No, not really. It's been phenomenal. I, I've like, it's been so great that I've gotten kind of lazy because I don't have to worry about the application <laughs> all that much. Whereas before, when, when it was hosted on Rails, I would have to scale it up and down because as users came in to use it, if Rails was so inefficient with the WebSockets, I'd run out of memory. So I'd have to scale that out to, to scale the memory uh, you the the memory size on on the different instances, and now with Giga Elixir, I just I just scaled out up to like kind of like the worst case scenario when I have like like tons of people and it, it's just running smoothly. It's actually been so good that in fact I've put more load onto the Phoenix app onto the Phoenix Elixir application by having clients viewers that are receiving the closed captions payloads directly connect to the Elixir server. So before, what the pipeline was doing was the the Rails application would ha- would you know would there would be closed captions that would be received from the from the front end of the client, go to the server, and then send it through a special uh, API that Twitch provided for the pub sub, and then the, and then through Twitch's plumbing, it would the the extension the web app would receive the messages. So no one's connecting directly to my server in order to, to receive those captions because of how scalable and how efficient things were i circumvented twitch now and now the now each client that's on the on twitch <laughs> is connecting through uh, graphql using using the web i forget i can't can't think of it right now but basic graphql's websocket implementation directly connected to my servers and are receiving captions from there so that's how more efficient is is that i'm able to have thousands and thousands of users directly connect to my real server or not my real server, my Phoenix server, and and receive captions that way. And so it's it's an it's been I've been able to provide a more richer uh, user experience with that. But I guess because of doing that, I actually had a little bit of scaling issues with that in terms of memory usage because so many people were having persistent connections. But I ended up optimizing on the client side, on the Twitch side, that if someone hides the captions, they don't want to see the captions. It just didn't disconnect the WebSocket. So there's no like a little bit of memory being consumed because every single website connections has a little bit of memory being used so, so the server can remember. So I ended up optimizing the client side to just close the WebSocket connection if they're not, if they don't want to receive any captions. And it's been great from there. Yeah, I think each each process is at least 1K, something like that minimum. So you can add up real quick if you have a lot of connections. It's each process, right? So even if yeah. you connect with one process, there could also be multiple processes attached to that one. So it could really scale up quite quickly. Yeah, exactly. Each each individual upsocket connection. It, the beautiful thing is with Elixir is everything's a process. So you're kind of able to do a one-to-one thing. It's like, yeah, there's already existing a couple thousand processes just from the application itself. But I can I can determine like, okay, well, in the worst case on a Wednesday at like three o'clock, there's like there's these people that are going to go live and they have a couple thousand users. So I can, you know, in theory, my peak is going to be throughout the week, 15K users. I can kind of do a little bit of math in there and be like, okay, I need to, I need to add a, you know, I have to add, I need to make sure to have like a couple gigs of, of memory on my two pods, you know, to, to handle that worst case scenario. But then the nice thing is, is like with Elixir is that if things fail, they just fail. 
they don't they don't slow down with rails what was happening for me was the the rails application was actually just kind of like slowing down to a crawl so people would receive the just and this is not connecting directly to clients on twitch this is just people on the website sending messages captions the captions would be delayed by like minutes like some like there's like molasses on the cert on the rail server or something like that whereas with the with elixir it just if if things crash things crash it recovers and it's either either it it can work or it doesn't work there's there's not like the in-between of like Oh, there's five minutes to for someone to when someone says hello, the the viewer sees hello on the on, on the client on the on the Twitch client. Yeah, that, that's true. Okay, so you fixed it, you push it up, things are going great. Oh, uh, what I wanted to ask you was, uh, are you running? How many instances are you actually running? Just one, or you have multiple instances? I have two different uh, instances, or like I guess with the Gig Elixir, they're technically like pods. I guess it, I'm not sure if they even call them pods, but two pod instances that are running with a couple gigs each. And that's just, I just do that for redundancy, just have two, just in case one fails, the other one reco- recovers it. And it's, and then I've used, and then they have like the the swarm networking thing. So I configured it because Gigalixer makes it really easy. So they both, they both communicate with each other to share memory because with, when I deployed with, with Elixir and Phoenix, I was able actually to get rid of Redis for the WebSockets on Rails. And I was able just to use it the the elixir internals to to do the message messaging and stuff like that which has been great because that was like thirty dollars less that i had to spend on 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 hosting costs yeah it's it's crazy that that uh, that we can use the pub sub from within right i don't think there's any i can't think of anything that has a pub sub built into it off the top of my head but may, maybe i'm wrong well except for postgres postgres has a pub sub built into it also so yeah. i actually i actually used that in a, in a project in elixir which is pretty cool Actually, I use that in production right now for another client. We actually have services that um, some things are written in Python, some things are written in Elixir. And the way we talk back and forth to each other is we insert records, which are then broadcast a message over over the wire <laughs> and send messages back and forth that way. It's kind of weird, but yeah. it, it, it works quite well, actually. Very cool. Okay. Yeah, but actually, let's kind of get back, right? So you keep talking about Twitch. Like, I've seen you're a pretty avid streamer on Twitch, right? Is what got you started doing uh, Twitch streaming? So back in the day, like <laughs> I was, I kind of got off of, uh, like, so I, I moved to, so I got fired from, or laid off, not fired. <laughs> there was layoffs at a company and and I felt kind of like, and I worked at a new, and I, when I got hired at a new company, I was kind of recovering from from burnout. And I wanted to kind of code, I wanted to learn again and do, do things my on my terms. And I was like, okay, well, I want to experiment. I want to do stuff. I want to like play with Node because I even back then I was still doing Ruby on Rails and JavaScript and stuff. Uh, I want to play with Node. I want to do side projects. I want to have some fun. And I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? Because just doing it on your own time is not going to, you, you just you're going to go dilly dally in your front of your computer. You're gonna, I'm going to play PC games or whatever. Uh, so I'm like, you know what? Um, how about I try streaming this and I'll try to like do a schedule, do a cadence so that like I keep myself honest and also I can share my my experience of learning stuff like that to others. And that's kind of how it initially started. And I was just like kind of just playing around with stuff and it kind of just grew the, you know, like I was like learning React Native at first and then I started to write little node packages here and then and then I got involved. And then and then at that same time, uh, that's when Twitch introduced their extension stuff. So then I got involved with writing their extensions and I wrote a couple of extensions and then I fell into this, this the, the string closed captioner. And this has been... This has been my predominant bread and butter for years now. <laughs> and, it, and it's been, you know, it's taking me from doing a lot of cool stuff in Rails. And now it's taking me to doing a lot of cool stuff in Elixir. And it's, and it's been a lot of fun. And it's been, it been great to kind of share the experience with, uh, with others and have other project ideas that I'm working on too. And it, it's, it, it kind of keeps the juices flowing, like the creative juices flowing. And, and I guess, you know, if, you don't, if you're not, I guess it keeps my passion alive for coding. And so that's, that's, my, that's been my outlet. So how do you feel about between uh, Elixir and Node.js, because I always hear people say that Node can scale pretty well and and all this stuff. Like, do you feel you know? Do you do you like writing Node more? Do you like writing Elixir more? I like writing Elixir more. What I use Node typically for, and because it's it's easier to do, is proto- rapid prototyping in terms of like proof of concept. Because everyone has a package in JavaScript for something, so it's like if you want to like proof of concept using a service, you know, like some API, so with it for for Azure, Google, AWS, or some other service, you can you, you can usually do like a super rapid proof of concept in Node extremely fast because everyone's written a packet, 
package for for their service for it. And then from there, once you've you've done the POC, then you can be like, okay, what what language is actually going to be appropriate at scale for this? <laughs> I actually I find uh, doing faster prototyping in, in Elixir. I don't know, maybe a. So the reason the reason I say that is because so we have a coding bootcamp nearby, and they always teach them how to use Node.js. And I look at them, and they're like, okay, I have to pull in this. I forgot what the Postgres library is in Node, I, uh, Steamer or something weird like that, or Piston or something. I forgot the name. Something like that. They got to pull this thing. Okay, cool. Oh, they got to pull in Express. Okay. Oh, and I got to pull in uh, a template library and I got to pull in this, like all this glue stuff. They have to glue it all together. And I'm thinking to myself, how do you like, you're a new person to coding. You're not like a hardcore guy who understands what you're pulling and gluing together. How do you guys understand this stuff? And I just, I took, a few seconds, I said, look, this is what I use. Because they asked me, because hey, I used to teach over there. I taught beginners, HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Very little bit of Node.js, but that was towards the end. But in general, I say, okay, they say, hey, what, what do you do every day? How do you teach? How, what do you do for your clients? Let me show you. Mix Phoenix new. Mix Phoenix gen something. And I just started coding stuff up. And then they're like, why don't they teach us this? This is so much easier. <laughs> that was their immediate reply. That's why I'm like, I feel like I can just move so much faster with Elixir than I can with Node. Yeah, I feel like once you, I, I found that if if you know the boiler, like there's a lot of things in Elixir that are just like boilerplate. Like once you know the boilerplate, you can pretty much just copy and paste something in and boom, and like change the URLs and boom, you have a client, you have a a service for for integrating with some some sort of API, and you're, you're done. <laughs> that's what I found. That's what I found so far is like there's a lot of things that are just so because of the pattern matching and just so kind of like generic because you're matching patterns, you're not matching specific implement, like in, uh, specific details about, you know, some third-party API service that you're able to just copy and paste code in. And then boom, you have, <laughs> you have a working pat, you know, working service for, for integrating with like, I don't know, GitHub or something else. So you're able to actually, the more experience you have with Alexa, the more rapidly you're, you're able to prototype because things just fall into place and kind of like Lego, Lego pieces. Yeah, I mean, I think really everything has some type of, of boilerplate to a certain extent, right? They all have their ceremony. Rails is probably most famous for this one, the conventional reconfiguration, where if you follow these rules, then everything will be fine. If you want to be a little bit special, you're in for a bad time. <laughs> but that's also what, what makes it nice too, right? But I mean, if you're talking about like boilerplate, okay, you have to make your view and you have to make your controller and you have to have your template folder and it has to be like this, it has to be like that. Yes, okay, that that's true. But the cool thing, the, the coolest thing about, about the templates though is that they get compiled as functions, which is really, really awesome. They're wicked fast when you make them. I still do dead views. I, I have to admit it. I still do dead views. I prefer dead views over live views. Yeah, I have, like my application's a mix of dead views and, and live views it's, itself. Um, <laughs> sometimes just doing the dead views is, is easier because if the, the live views, I mean, they're great, but it's like if you're just doing something really simple, there's no need to, do, uh, in my opinion, there's no need to do a live view, even though it's it's the new it's the new hotness. Well, the other thing too is that not everybody has a good connection. I have a couple of, well, so I live in Hong Kong and we have a couple of people who live on islands and the connection's really bad. And so if you don't properly handle people disconnecting, you're going to, be in for a bad time. They're going to be in for a real bad time, and then they're going to be giving you crap about it. So you you have to be careful. I the best way I've solved that issue is I use like a concache or something like that. There's a caching solutions you could use where you can match like a cookie to some data. That's how I managed to solve that issue. But uh, no, this is pretty cool. I, I I'm also thinking about getting into Twitch stream. It seems like Twitch streaming is is quite popular these days. I, I, I mean, how many viewers do you actually have every every month? It varies. Right now, I think I get around like five or six viewers a night. It can it can go up to twenty concurrent viewers at any time. It just depends. There's other larger kind of like streamers that get hundreds of viewers at, at any specific time. And the you know the most of the time the 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 oh, virtually all the time the experience is great. You know, people pop in and it's, it's kind of like it's like almost like coding in like a like a cafe, you know. You're just kind of like coding there, and then but but you know people are more friendly. They will walk up like, "Hey, what are you working on?" You know, like, <laughs> and, you, and you just talk about stuff. So it it definitely um, also helps with like that kind of like disconnect of working from home and just doing developing on your own. You're you're more developing in a community. So is it more friendly or less friendly than Stack Overflow? It's uh more friendly. It's definitely more friendly, and sometimes you'll sometimes you'll get like a, a like the you know a troll of like you know the of you know talking about their like someone trolling like not to say anything's wrong with PHP, but you'll eventually some you know some most recent troll I had was like someone talk coming in saying 
you know, PHP superior. And regardless of any other language, PHP can be can do it all. And you know, this person is trolling because like the the how hard he was leaning on PHP does everything. And and every time you try to give like a balanced, like trying to give like a balanced opinion of, you know, everything, there's a language for every every solution, you know, it doesn't matter. They're like, no, 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 PHP, you know. <laughs> and usually you'll you'll get kind of kind of those things. But most of the time you get kind of like inquisitive people of like the most common one I have when I'm doing when since I've been writing a lot of Elixir is why Elixir? Because a lot of people don't know about the language. So they're like, why Elixir? Why not do Node? Why not do Go? And, you know, and then, you know, just get into a little, a little philosophical discussion of like the why any language at all. You just choose whatever you want to do personally, whatever you, you know, whatever, whatever feels good. That's the one you use. So, but other than that, people are just giving feedback and want to learn or get or, or help. Yeah, I get that all the time too, why Elixir. But when I start to explain the history in the telephone switches and I talk about how telephone switches problems of the 80s were the same things that we have now, it just makes sense. And then uh, recently I talked to a guy and I said, yeah, you can also hot, hot push hot push code and upgrade the server. What? The guy acted like it was like totally futuristic. What? That's impossible. What are you talking about? No, this is in the 80s they had this, man. What? <laughs> but why can't Java do this? I don't know. <laughs> you go as, as son. <laughs> I have no idea. There you go. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we went through your article. We went through your, your Twitch, which is pretty cool. Check out your Twitch stream. So it's talk to me, goose man. So talk and then letter uh, number two, M-E and goose man. So maybe I have to check you out sometimes. Are you streaming at the same time always or just depends whenever you're free? The cadence is usually Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Wednesdays at starting at 7 p.m. Pacific time. So I'm here in the West Coast of the United States. And then and then on Sundays is usually kind of up in the air. I try to stream at 11, but for the past couple months, it's been pretty inconsistent. But if you just give, just like with uh, just like with YouTube, if you sign up and you follow, you'll get it. You can get a notification on uh, when your favorite streamer, coding streamer or whatever goes live at that. Sounds good. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to, to bring up or discuss before we start to sign off? Not really. I would just, I guess... I'll just say, I know, like the hype, I would say the hype about Elixir is definitely warranted because, <laughs> because you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that really love their programming language and be like, you know, oh, it's going to do, it's going to do great things. It's going to, it's going to improve your code at 10x, you know, and stuff like that. And I would say that my transition from, from Ruby on Rails application, rewriting the whole thing into Elixir has been a really awesome experience. And I've, I've seen, as, as I've discussed, I've seen huge gains. And if, if anything, I've been able to provide more features to the users. And I mean, even, even small things that Phoenix has, like the, like the presence feature, like to, like I was able to use that to provide a more more scale more scalable solution to show who's actually using the extension in my showcase page using those type of things just using in memory no Redis no 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 extra queries to the database to try to query for information so yeah I've had a, I've had a great experience and if um, if people are still kind of considering doing Elixir or doing Phoenix and stuff like that I would say just dive into it and write something because you'll be you'll be surprised how easy it is to build in it and how much how much it has to how much it has to offer for you in terms of uh, both scalability performance and reliability yeah so true i mean i remember when i started using elixir especially the concurrency and parallelism you get it's really fantastic it's one of my favorite things that's the reason why i actually first came to elixir is because i want to do some more parallelism so that's that's great Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that I am putting together a podcasting course. I get asked all the time. I've been coaching people for the last six months. How do you start a podcast? How do you put it together? What do I need in order to get it going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've put together the curriculum, and I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people, and now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a master class. It's going to be a four-week master class where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific-sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io. Yeah, so let's get the picks, right? So I think I warned you before we started recording the podcast. Uh, I'll go with my pick first. We always go with hosts first. And so my pick for this week is Cloudflare Workers. So I have a course that I'm running online and we're thinking to start to let people in more developing countries have a bigger discount than Western countries or more developed countries. 
And so I started looking at Cloudflare and see what they had. And it seems like they had this thing called Cloudflare Worker, which should be able to handle what I want to do, which is basically take a look to see where the IP is coming from and then redirect them to a special discount code in case they're in those kind of areas like India, Indonesia, et cetera, these kind of developing areas. So that's kind of my pick for this week. Uh, how about you, Eric? Did you manage to think of something? Yeah, a little bit more on non-technical, more more fun is I actually started, I actually got into Ted Lasso. Uh, <laughs> I know I'm kind of late to the party, and and but a lot of people recommended Ted Lasso as a show on Apple Plus, and wife and I started watching it, and it's a phenomenal feel-good show. So it's the holiday times, you want feel-good, kind of like comedy and, and heartfelt stuff, and wife and I started watching it, and we binged the whole thing, all, all season one and season two, and we I just absolutely enjoyed it. So it feels it, it's great during the holiday times, especially, you know, with things kind of getting kind of crazy again with COVID and stuff to uh, watch a, some, a feel good comedy. And I, yeah, if you're, if you're still one of those people like me, that was like, hey, yeah, 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 Ted Lasso, blah, blah, blah. I, I actually recommend watching it because I had a great time and um, maybe hopefully you will too. Because yeah, just a lot of fun. Yeah, I I think I'd start watching it. I didn't really thought it was so funny. This I just watched a little bit of the first episode, maybe, if I remember correctly. But I do like the actors, so maybe I'll give it a chance. I also was a guy who did not like, what was it called? Game of Thrones. I really disliked Game of Thrones the first time I put it on. I watched the first episode, the first season, and it was the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, <laughs> why do people like this thing? And everybody came back, no, no, you have to watch the whole season. And then second season starts getting really good. Just do it. All right, all right. And then... I came around, so maybe I should give this another chance. Yeah, if you have an aversion to dad jokes, then you might not want to watch Ted Lasso. But <laughs> but if you if you love uh, dad jokes and kind of cheesy one liners and stuff like that, then it's a, it's a good it's a funny show. Cool. All right. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, I appreciate it. It's always good to hear like people's first experience deploying an app and and seeing how they kind of overcame any issues that they had. And, uh, you know, what their experience is like, whether it's good or bad, right? So I'm, I'm happy that you managed to solve your issue pretty quickly. And yeah, I'm happy that you're enjoying your journey so far. Hopefully you find more things that you like and you stay along with us or find something better, more interesting to you. Then that's also good, too. But at least you gave it a shot, right? Yeah, definitely. I'm sticking with it. I'm, I'm drinking the elixir. <laughs> All good. All right. Thanks so much for coming by. Uh, maybe have a good in, in the future. See you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.